the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress, says Jesus, until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in the one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. I'm going to take a guess and guess that none of us have this section of scripture memorized from our confirmation verse. Hmm? Or maybe scrolled in beautiful calligraphy over your fireplace or in a picture hanging, hanging somewhere in your house. Probably not. Hmm? Maybe you even winced a little bit after the gospel reading when you have to say and confess, this is the gospel of our Lord. Hmm. Really? That didn't sound a whole lot like gospel, did it? There's no doubt about it. Jesus' words in Luke 12 are challenging to hear, aren't they? They're even a little bit hard to understand, too. We wonder, why is the Prince of Peace talking about fire, baptism, peace, and division? What does this all mean? Well, to better understand Jesus' pyrotechnic preaching here, we can look at the context and the content of Jesus' words to help. Because knowing what happens in the whole chapter of Luke 12 will give us a little better idea of what Jesus is saying and a better grasp of this hard teaching that he gives us. Helps us understand also a little bit better about what his words then to his disciples say to us today in these words. So first, a little bit of context. Throughout Luke 12, and we've been hearing a lot of the Gospel of Luke these past several Sundays, Jesus has been addressing several different kinds of groups of people. His disciples, as always, those who are with him, both the immediate 12 and the larger groups of 72 and other numbers too, the crowds who have followed him in different places. Of course, there's the Pharisees too. Jesus is also busy preparing his disciples for the future persecutions that will come after he will send them out after his death and resurrection and Pentecost and the continual life of the church. He also warns the disciples and the crowds against the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. He lovingly admonishes them throughout chapter 12 several times, we've heard, not to trust in possessions or anything within themselves in this world that they do not need to fear because Jesus is going to provide for them. The Father's love will surround them and be with them. And Jesus' death and his resurrection is greater than all of things that life could possibly throw at them. It's true for you too, of course. God has you covered. He is faithful. He has promised to preserve and protect and deliver you, and he does, and he has, and he will. And then comes today's reading, towards the end of chapter 12. I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled, Jesus says. I have a baptism with which I need to be baptized, and how great is my distress, until it is accomplished, until it is finished. The same word Jesus says on the cross, it is finished, is that same word accomplished. So even though his language sounds a bit strange, maybe even jarring to our ears at first, Jesus' words throughout the Gospel of Luke, especially the last few chapters, 
lead us to this very point of fire and baptism, of peace and division. Because in a way, those four words give us a good picture. They they encompass everything that Jesus' ministry has been about. Fire, as we know from wildfire seasons past and present, can be destructive. But it also can be purifying as we see the forest rebuild after a fire. Scripture uses fire both ways as well. It's a sign of God's judgment and wrath against sin on the one hand, his burning hot anger, like we hear from the fiery preacher of repentance, John the Baptist. But fire is also refining. It is purifying. It is cleansing. It is holy-making in the Scriptures, like when Jesus pours out his Holy Spirit with those tongues of fire at Pentecost, or the fiery wind of the Spirit that fills his church and us, his baptized people. It is gospel fire, kind of like the pillar of fire and smoke that led Israel through the Red Sea and the wilderness, or the burning bush that did not consume the bush but embodied God's presence. The fire that Jesus casts upon the earth then is a little bit of both as well. It destroys him on the cross and yet it refines and cleanses and purifies us. You see, Jesus is the one upon whom the fire of God's wrath over our sin will fall. It's on the cross where Jesus receives God's wrath and it is kindled against not us, but our Lord. We're like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that way. Jesus is crucified in the fiery furnace of God's wrath against sin, and then he comes in and steps in and rescues us, pulls us out of the fire so that we will not be consumed. Jesus himself passes through the fire of God's wrath that we would not be burned. And for that fire to be kindled, just like in the Old Testament where there was a sacrifice on the altar, a whole burnt offering, there was a sinless victim. Here is our Lord, the innocent one for the sinful many. This is the peace that Jesus comes to bring, the peace that surpasses our understanding, the peace offering That there must be a death for sin, but not just any death, of course, the death of God himself in the flesh, the fire that he alone can kindle. That no matter how many times we try, no amount of rubbing the sticks of our good works together can accomplish. No matter how many merit badges we accumulate for ourselves or add to our credit, it's only Jesus who brings this Pentecost fire to us. But it comes at a cost. He must die and rise in our place. There's no other way. The cross is the only way. And in the words of our Lord in today's gospel, he is driven, he is compelled, how he wishes that it were accomplished to go to this lonely mission of the cross. His eyes fixed in like a cyclist zeroed in at that last leg of the Tour de France on his goal, his end, your salvation. Would that it were already kindled, he says, and great is my distress until it is accomplished, till it is finished, completed for you. So when Jesus speaks of fire and then right after that baptism, he's pointing his disciples and us forward to his crucifixion. It's no accident that his ministry also began with a baptism of water, 
and then ends with a baptism really of fire and blood on the cross. His watery baptism in the Jordan, where he placed himself under God's wrath, where he placed himself as substitute for us. And then his bloody baptism on the cross, where he atones for our sin. The water of the Jordan that flowed over Jesus' head gives way to the water and the blood that comes out of Jesus' side from the cross to fill the font, to fill the chalice, to fill you with his love, his life, his mercy and grace. You see, Jesus' baptism set him on this road to go to Calvary. He is the washing, cleansing sacrifice. Like John declares, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, Jesus was compelled to see his baptism through to the end and the fulfillment when he would finally cry out, It is finished. That brings us to peace. There in that darkness of Good Friday, in the fire of the cross, God's love burns brightest for us. The burning passion of God to save sinful humanity, to rescue and redeem a fallen creation. There in Jesus' death, there is a peace that the world simply cannot give, a peace the world does not know, sometimes a peace that the world even hates. It is the peace of sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God who reconciles us to himself and does not count our trespasses against him. The peace of Jesus' justifying word that declares you are righteous for Jesus' sake. That peace of a quiet conscience, knowing that there is no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. But here's the irony about that, isn't it? Even a bit of the paradox of the Christian life, that living in that peace, receiving Jesus' peace, being baptized as his son and daughter into his death and resurrection, being purified and cleansed of his sacrifice on the cross, means more often than not in this world, in this life, we will find ourselves at odds with the world, won't we? Do you not know that I have come to give peace on the earth, Jesus says? No, I tell you, but rather division. Again, it sounds like a rather shocking, jarring thing for Jesus to say. But I'm sure for many of us, those words hit home. We recognize that we live in a world that is divided in many ways over many things. Even simply confessing your Christian faith, living as a son or daughter of Christ in the world, will mean that you are divided from those who don't believe and live and confess. Some have left or leave the church. Some have rejected or reject our Lord. But it's not only other people. There's our own sins of thought and word and deed that cause division in our own lives, in our own families and marriages and friendships and really everything we say and do. It's a rather sober reminder that we don't find the family of faith, we don't find the family of God in Ancestry.com or our blood and heritage, but in the blood of the cross, in Jesus, our brother and savior and redeemer, in the font, in the altar, in the communion of saints where he gathers us together around his holy gifts. You see, Jesus was no stranger to division either. That's exactly what happened to him on the cross. The Father, our Heavenly Father, is set against his own Son 
Jesus is forsaken for you, judged in your place, crucified for you. Jesus is divided from the Father because he bears and bore all of our sins of division, that by his death and resurrection, you would never be divided from him. And so as the author of Hebrews closes, so too we do today. Therefore, let us, as his baptized, beloved children, run with endurance that race that he has set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter, the Holy One of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, that you, today and always, may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.